0: Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a producer. As always, this episode is brought to you by edmprod.com, an online resource dedicated to teaching electronic producers the tools and tactics needed to make better music. If you want to help up your production skills, whether it's learning the basics, writing better music, improving your mixes, or developing a more creative mindset, we've got you covered. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Ed Brew. Ed Brew is the CEO of the popular music submission site Label Radar. He has an extensive history in the music industry, working with brands such as Universal, Monster Cat, and Trap Nation, and running campaigns for businesses like EA, HP, and Audible. Now, in this episode, we start off with Ed Brew's background, discussing his charity music compilation that launched him into the music industry. He discusses the various jobs that he's had over the past decade, which includes sync licensing, ARing, influencer marketing, running brand campaigns, and a whole lot more. He also explains how his early music job served as a creative outlet for him in the same way that music is a creative outlet for pretty much everyone listening to this show, and this overall just contrasted with what his previous job was working at a law firm. Later on, Ed breaks down the development and growth of his site label radar. He explains the steps that it took to launch the site and for him to dedicate himself full time to it, offering insights and advice for those that are looking to start their own business, whether or not it's in the music industry. It's safe to say that Ed knows a lot about what it takes for an artist to make a break in the music industry. So I asked him to offer his best advice and guidance for independent artists that are looking to launch and develop their career. He discusses what artists should focus on in terms of branding, outreach, marketing, and partnerships in order to make an impact in a very competitive industry. That's all for me. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the Edium Podcast with Ed Brew. All right, welcome back to the Edium Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ed Brew. Ed, how are you doing today?
1: I am very well, thank you. And uh, yeah, looking forward to,
0: to talking all things music. So you're currently the CEO of Label Radar, but up until now, you've had a host of really interesting jobs in the music industry. So to start this interview, I want to learn a bit more about what your first steps were getting into music and into the music business.
1: It actually happened kind of by accident in that of way back in the day, I was producing music myself, and I was watching a thing that we do in the UK called Comic Relief, where it's kind of like this big charity mm. live stream um, TV program as well. And I was kind of watching it like, I, I feel like I would love to do something around that and combine it with, you know, my passion for music and just do something on that side of things that I can, you know, try and do something more than just a bake sale, right, to raise money for, for charity. So yeah. um, I put together this this compilation that started out with just a few friends at the time. And then I kind of, as time went by, I was like, why not try and make this as big as possible and and kind of go, go to the kind of big... Got artists that I was admiring and labels and entities that I, I had a lot of love for so um, I just tried to scale it and keep on scaling it and you know eventually this compilation grew to this 78 tracks um, all brand new unreleased stuff from some of my favorite artists and yeah it, it just kind of escalated and escalated and um, I was lucky enough to get quite a lot of support from um, some of the big promotion channels and entities like Card and EDM District as, as well as you know big artists like Noisier and all these these kind of icons that I looked up to and so what we did was we launched this compilation and then also did a raffle and that's where people like Noisier and god there's so many uh, Camo and Crooked as well were another kind of artists that i was delighted to get on board and they they contributed prizes for the raffle and so we kind of raised in the end i think it was about six thousand pounds probably more now um including streaming revenues um i actually need to to check in with our distributor about that so we can uh, get another no- donation sent off but yeah that was basically the first project that I I kind of got really stuck into and really obsessed with and because people were so receptive to it and it, it did a lot for me in terms of networking, then off the back of that, you know, self licensing and promoting 78 tracks kind of got, got quite a lot of doors open for me and, and, you know, people saw how well it did and, and they were kind of like, actually we'd like you to do that for us kind of thing. Um, nowadays, obviously compilation licensing and that, that side of things isn't, what it was back then i mean this was back in 2012-13 and even then it, it was kind of falling off but um yeah that kind of opened doors for me in music licensing and from there i transitioned into sync licensing which is you know placing music in tv adverts film video games that kind of thing Um, and it's something that I've always been really interested in and what actually made me want to kind of launch my own business there was when I saw a Mercedes Benz advert, I think it was where they'd used a dubstep track for it, which was just like my first wobble track on like FL studio kind of level. (laughs) And I was just like, there are so many tracks you could have used for this by so many amazing artists. And you went with this. so, from that moment, I was kind of like, "Actually, perhaps there is a market for you know if people are looking for more electronic stuff, um I could perhaps start representing some of the independent artists that I work with, some of the smaller indie labels that I know, and kind of build up a, a separate catalog um, to try and try and get them placed in these in these markets if there's an appetite for it and so, I did that for uh, a couple of years then in the background to that, I was working at EDM District, who kind of gave me my first like breakthrough role, job role in the in the industry. So, I did compilation licensing for them and got to work with you know some of the biggest u- music promotion channels on YouTube like um, Trap Nation, Trap City, uh, Mr Suicide Sheep, X Keto, Proximity. You know all of these kind of amazing, amazing um, entities, and so that kind of really helped me. Dig my teeth, (laughs) (laughs) dig my nails into the the industry, and just really get a solid foundation in terms of relationships and understanding of what the current landscape was at that time. And then fast forward a bit, and I ended up joining a a tech music tech company in London, and took a role there, heading up partnerships uh, like music and creator partnerships. So. That was basically pitching the technology that they were building to uh, YouTubers, to big uh, music entities, to um, different kind of, I guess, what we would now call influencers, although back then it was still kind of a growing term. And... Then, when that died a spectacular death, um, which it would require a whole podcast uh, <laughs> to its own to its own right to go into detail, but um, I was basically left in this weird position where i I had had such a kind of hybrid unique role there that there wasn 't really a, an opportunity for me to just move sideways into a similar role somewhere else and I had this kind of black book of contacts, and I, I was managing a few artists at the time and I just thought, um, you know, what can I do from here? And I actually met uh, my business partner then, uh, a guy called Taylor Jones, and we co-founded the Hello Group, which was a talent management agency along with Taylor's brother, Kyron. Basically, we were just like, we're young enough to to just make a mistake and just give this as mu- everything we can and see where we can take it. So we uh we signed yeah. some youtube talent we signed uh some grammy winning songwriters and we just had this kind of shared vision for what we wanted to do in the talent space um And so it was predominantly music talent, but then we also brought in uh, non-music talent and big social media influencers and kind of diversified the roster a bit and did a lot of influencer marketing and brand campaigns Uh, because obviously I had some brand relationships from doing the sync side of things as well. So it made a lot of sense and that was really fun for about four years. Um, And then it reached a point where our business was predominantly... Uh, US-based, predominantly LA. And I wanted to stay in the UK. I didn't want to move over to LA. So I decided to um, move full-time onto my other venture, which had been kind of building in the background of all this, which is Label Radar. So that was just yeah. an idea that I had back when I was working with labels and working with artists. And I could see how fragmented that whole landscape was and i happened to be lucky enough to meet uh our current coo and co-founder a guy called Derek clark and he basically this is like a, a really nice full circle story so he got introduced to me by someone who i had worked with on the everyday matters uh compilation that i started out with and he wanted to do a similar compilation got introduced to me through through because of that And then we kind of got just hit it off and got talking about all these other ideas that we had. And Label Radar was one of those ideas. And then, you know, just bit by bit, pieces fell into place. And, you know, here we are. (laughs) So, yeah, we've been we've been doing Label Radar together for over two and a half years now. And um, it's uh, it's been something we were doing part time initially. But as of this year, we're both full time Mm -hmm. on it. And, uh, yeah, it's one hell of a journey.
0: So i definitely want to get into what you're doing with label radar right now and kind of the development of that but before then a few things that i want to touch upon on your background so kind of going all the way back to when you were developing that compilation and growing it it seems like at that point you were just an artist that was kind of working on music that decided to do this compilation and then you know fast forward a few years you've got you know 76 78 whatever the number was artists on it and you're growing it to the point that you have these artists reaching out to you so early on, how did you learn how to grow it at that pace to build those partnerships? You know, because I think from there, that was kind of the impetus that helped you get those other jobs. But I'm curious, just kind of starting from scratch, from that very first compilation, how did you learn how to grow that at that early stage?
1: So the the compilation grew very much through just taking chances, to be honest with you, like not, mm. no one had put too much together in that line of things like a charity compilation at that time was something that hadn't really been oversaturated it was quite a fresh thing to do Yeah, um, and I think people really resonated with the kind of the charities that we were raising money for and Um, the artists that I was able to get on board through the relationships that I'd already built from um, back when I was producing, I had this thing called the Wolf Pack, which was my kind of close group of other artist friends. And there were, I mean, there's about six or seven um, of us and we're just, we're just really good friends and we help each other out with, you know, feedback on stuff, uh, suggestions, all that kind of stuff. And because we, we kind of had that close knit, friendship, then when it came to actually growing the compilation, I was able to, you know, get them invested in it and then have them pull on their relationships to also help me, you know, flesh out this track list and get access to the artists that I wouldn't otherwise have had access to necessarily. And it was just, it was just kind of a, I was kind of like, why not? Was was probably like the premium phrase going through yeah. my head at any time was why not? Right. So don't ask, don't get. And if you'd said to me when I was first starting the compilation, like why don't you email uh, like circus records or why don't you email camo and crooked or noisier or, or any of these people, I would have just been like, hell no. Like there, there's no way I'm, I'm going gonna to yeah. get in touch with those guys or there's no way they'd be interested. But mm-hmm. I think it, the kind of applicable lesson from it is to scale down and then work up to it. So like, okay, those guys might not be interested until you've got certain other leverage to kind of show them it's worthwhile. And so then it's kind of, I, I was identifying what would make it worthwhile and how, how I could then, if I get X and Y artists, then I can go after these other artists as well, because it kind of, it's a, a scale right and if i can secure promotion on these channels then these other artists will be more incentivized to come on board um and so it was kind of a some of it was chicken and egg don't get me wrong like you kind of need the artists to be able to get the big promotion channels interested anyway but there's definitely a, a an approach that can be strategized around it in terms of scaling if i can get this then i can get that and if i can get that then i can you know take it to another level from there.
0: Yeah. I think I, for me, what it comes down to is something that we were talking about before we started recording, which is simply just patience. Like, yeah. even if you have this big dream for where you want to get your compilation, it's going to take some time to get the artists there. And I think an analogy would be artists trying to get on their favorite labels. It's for a lot of artists, you know, they're not going to get to their favorite label right away, but they can slowly build up, get those credentials so they can get to where they want to be.
1: Definitely. And I, I think that, that kind of logic is it's really important to to set it for your life as a whole like if you're starting out as an artist and you're like I want to be main stage at Coachella like if that is your driving goal then there's so much that's going to happen between now and then on your on your journey as a whole that you're just not going to enjoy so many moments in your journey simply because you're always looking beyond And by the way, when you do reach that goal of main stage at Coachella, you're not going to enjoy it as much as you think you will, because you'll already have another goal in mind by the time you get there. And so super important to have all your milestones set out. and, And it's fine to have that as a like overarching goal but have lots of other milestones in mind so that you can enjoy the journey and kind of tick things off as you go and be like, yes, this is a a really nice achievement. Even though it's not my main, main achievement, it's still a, a really happy moment for me.
0: So kind of jumping off of that. So it seems like you almost fell into what you were doing with this compilation work that, you know, set you on the trajectory that you're at now. So I'm curious, like what was driving you to get all of those different jobs with sync and management and marketing? Cause you're coming from more of the artist background and seems like it just started as, you know, like an idea for what you could do with getting some music together. And then it turned into this whole new, somewhat whole new career trajectory for you. So kind of what was driving you to continue growing and to get all these other jobs and to, you know, be creating these businesses at the start? Sure yeah o- honestly it was actually something
1: really simple at, at at first which was um I was doing my law degree when I was um first doing the compilation that was my kind of day-to-day life was I was at uni studying law and yeah. I kind of like getting up in the morning was was a chore you know I <laughs> I a- outside of music stuff there there wasn't really anything when I'd wake up I'd be like oh this is going to be an exciting day because you know, there there just wasn't that kind of, I'm a, I'm a creative person and I didn't have that kind of creative outlet at that time. So when I started the compilation and I would send these kind of semi speculative emails to, to try and like bring stuff together every morning, I would be like, boom, awake. Like there could be an email that I need to uh, respond to actions that I can take to keep progressing this project. And it kind of awakened the entrepreneur in me doing the compilation. And that was, it was that moment when I was suddenly like, hey, I was awake at 7am and happy about it and like super ready for the day. Like, is this something that I only get when I'm working in this field? Because I'm pretty sure outside of compilation stuff, there's nothing that's like waking me up. So yeah, it was it was kind of just like, following your gut and like that pa- that moment when you're like I have a passion for this and I will I know that I'll be going above and beyond if I pursue this so that to me it was kind of like recognizing that in myself and then seeing where that led
0: yeah one thing that i want to point out that you mentioned was that that felt like a creative outlet for you i think a lot of aspiring producers have been locked into music production for so long that they forget that other things outside of music can be a genuine creative outlet and i think I would recommend for all producers listening to think about if there's other things in music that could serve as that. I think, you know, music marketing for a lot of people is definitely a creative outlet and can satisfy a lot of the same things that producing music does. So I love the fact that you saw that as another way for you to, you know, have something to wake up for and as a creative outlet for yourself.
1: Definitely. Yeah. And, and on the music marketing side of things, what's really cool about that is even when you're having downtime or time that you would otherwise classes, unproductive, like just scrolling through your phone when you first wake up or whatever it might be, Um, that is all time that you can be gaining insights on music marketing and stuff like that. Like what is making you stop scrolling when you're stopping scrolling? Like what kinds of content are you seeing? Um, What kinds of trends are you seeing in terms of music paired with certain types of visuals? Could there be a way for you to exploit that in your own music? Um, you know, now is kind of the perfect time to be looking at the content side of your music as well. Like what visuals or videos, um, can you tie it into?
0: Cool. So kind of catching us back to what you're up to now. So you mentioned that you started Label Radar about two years ago. Now I want to hear what those initial stages were for you to, you know, take that idea to solve a problem, which is pretty obvious in the music industry and to actually turn that into a, you know, full fledged business.
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, it was it was something that for me was so obvious from a very early time, right? Like, I was surrounded by artists and record labels, and the problem was so obvious to me from kind of day one that I was just like, someone will build something for this. Like, I'm not from a technical background. I'm not a, a developer or a coder. Um, I don't know the first thing about building an app. So I was just like, someone will build a solution for it, and I will thank them for it when it's built yeah, over time, a few things came out, but none of them really addressed it in the same way that I saw the problem. And, and yeah, Derek and I had the shared vision for what we wanted to build. And when the dots were connected with a developer team who I think were working at the time on a project for Derek, and he he kind of said, hey, these guys are really good. We should you know, talk to them about um, our idea and see if they're interested and so what we did was we pitched them on the vision for what we wanted to do and got them involved on an equity basis so that we weren't having to pay kind of high bulk uh, developer yeah. costs that come with building an app um, so if if there's any artists listening who have like a cool idea or um, don't know where to take something that, that that's just an idea in their head right now Um, one great option could be to try and find someone who'd be interested to take it on on an equity basis. And that's easier said than done, of course, because everyone has a, a very set amount of hours in the day. But if your idea is kind of a good testing board for your idea at the same time, like make sure they sign an NDA so you don't get screwed over. But if you can find someone who has that same level of passion for you and is willing to do it, you know, in their free time, like what we found, um, it can be a huge, huge help for those early days when you're just trying to build up cash flow and that kind of thing.
0: So you mentioned that you were pitching these artists your vision at the early stage to get them on board. I'm kind of curious what that was. And honestly, in doing that, you might help people learn a little bit more about your platform. So let's just say I'm the CEO of Spin and Records and I'm interested in collaborating with you all. What would be your elevator pitch to get me interested and excited for your site? Sure.
1: yeah. So, The way the way we saw it was everything in the current setup was fragmented, like it wasn't working for artists, it wasn't working for labels. And ultimately, that led to artists getting annoyed with labels, because let's be honest, most of the time you're sending your music to labels because you're a fan of the music that they're releasing and you're a fan of that label. and then it was creating kind of resentment from the artists when they wouldn't hear back and they'd be left for you know months and months just no idea if their demo had even been listened to and it was just causing damage for the for the labels but also it wasn't fair to the artists who then were left with their releases stagnating and not sure what they should do with it so what we've done is we've set it so that when you submit your music, you choose what you, as the artist, consider to be the best twenty-second clip within your track, which is super important for two reasons. One is it means that you are in control of the first impression because if you think that when you send, let's say, a SoundCloud link to a, an A&R at a label, if you think that they're listening from the beginning or listening for like a minute um unfortunately they will just click play and click to a point on the waveform that they like the look of right like that is just a fact of life they no one is listening from the beginning and getting the the full vibe of of what you've done they are clicking through the track and they are listening for like a couple of seconds at each point and that is what they use to make their decision so what we've done is we've given the artist back control over that process so Yes, they're listening to a section of the track, but you're choosing what section that is and giving yourself the best possible chance of making that good impression and giving them the the kind of spark of interest that then makes them listen to the, the track as a whole and the, the full track and check out your socials and see what what's going on with you as an artist. So then from the the second reason why it's really important is from the a perspective you know when you've got let's say a thousand demos coming in every week you're taken straight to the kind of heart of the track that the artist is saying if you don't like this part then you won't like the rest of the track but if you do yeah. like this part then hey check out the full thing and, and maybe we can get something cool going so from an a r perspective it's really important because it helps them find the better stuff in their demo submissions, the stuff that they are that is a good fit for them a lot faster. And that actually is also in the artist benefit as well, obviously, because previously there were demo inboxes that had like 10,000 demos backed up, you know, over email because email is just impossible to keep up with when you're getting that level of, uh, Mm -hmm. of submissions in. So this way, you know, artists get their demos heard and obviously as soon as a uh, a label does listen to a track, we notify the artist and let them know what the result of that listen was, like whether the label was interested or not. So there's no like, w- did they not like it or have they just not heard it? That question yeah. is eliminated and, you know, the artists... Uh, can take back control of their release cycle basically because they know if it's been listened to if they were interested and then they can obviously take things from there in terms of signing or not signing and
0: yeah so once you got this website off the ground running were there any big roadblocks that you ran into whether it was on a growth standpoint on a functionality standpoint that were just initially difficult to kind of get past
1: i mean we we have been very fortunate in just the way that our business works we kind of grow quite organically because the labels want to streamline their workflow through us so they will direct traffic through us naturally so we've Mm -hmm. never had to um do too much marketing and um you know a lot of the time because we're doing such a good job for the labels we then get the the kind of benefit of their natural flow of demos that they direct through us yeah um, I would say some of the main challenges we've faced have been things like education because uh, a lot of artists that come through are at very different levels of understanding of the music business as a whole, and yeah. it's really important to us that we are helping educate them and not you know leaving them high and dry and and signing away rights that they later regret, so yeah one of the main challenges we faced was trying to create a way to help level that understanding across all of our artists because there's such mm-hmm. a a vast difference in our user base you know some of them are full-time touring artists who live entirely from their artist revenue others are kind of people who are just trying to get their first track signs so there's a a real difference there and, and obviously it's not always that the person who is full-time touring knows more about the business than the person who is just trying to get their first track signed. Like that's not necessarily an indicator of understanding. So what we, what we've done is is implemented different learning resources and invested in some, we've got some launching very soon on the platform as well, where it's um, video based resources that are entirely free for our, our community to access that help teach them about music, copyright and that kind of thing. I mean we we basically look at how we can offer the most value to the artist community so when it comes to providing them with things like exclusive opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have access to like remix contests and things like that there's also a large educational component that comes with those things so things like can I Post the remix. um, Can I use the stems in my original track? And a lot of the time, artists won't ask these things; they will just assume. And so then we get the support requests come through, and we have to try and, uh, you know, unpick the tangled headphone mess. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I think one of the challenges we faced was probably optimizing our support and our communications and the way we interact with our our audience to try and help them understand more about what's actually going on in the music industry and the rights that are intrinsic in what they're creating when they make a track
0: so kind of given all that you're doing at label radar it seems like you really try to understand what both the artists need from you and need from the industry and obviously what the labels need so it's safe to say that you know a thing or two about what it takes for an artist to grow their career. So I think an interesting question to ask you, and I've got a couple others kind of in that space, is how would you recommend that an indie artist goes about creating a marketing campaign for one of their tracks? So let's just you know kind of set the scene here. I'm an artist that's got maybe 500 followers across each one of the socials. I've got a couple self-release tracks and I'm trying to get my career going a bit more, I want to think about getting to a bigger label, to bigger promotion companies, maybe some sync. What would you recommend be some of the first things that I would do in order to try to get those next releases that I've got lined up, these unreleased tracks, to be more successful for my career?
1: So I would be looking at, uh, I think we touched on it earlier, the the content side of things. Like, is there a strategy that can be applied to this track? Like, does it have a, a strong theme to it? Or would it suit a particular vibe of visual that I could tie into? So, for example, let's take uh, Odessa as an example. Like they they got a, a huge break when they had their music used in the background for I think it was like the world's biggest water slide, homemade water slide. Or it was some kind of video that went super yeah. viral. Um and I would be looking at, obviously, that's a very niche example, but the principle mm. of finding, identifying what content you could be a good fit for and then pursuing opportunities around that content is, is something that you can do at any level of, of artist. So identifying which Production areas, by production areas, I mean people who create content and have a need for music. So, yeah. whether that's an influencer or a content creator, or um, let's say a, a publisher like a Lad Bible or one of those, a big YouTube channel, um, anything like that. I would be looking at where I think my track could sit there and trying to make contact with them so that I can give them a free license to use the track in return for credit in the description. And then that content can also be marketing for you at absolutely no cost. You can then repurpose it for your, for your own stuff. If you're smart about the deals that you do. Um, but that's, that's getting a bit more granular. Um, I think, the content battle is is one side of it and it's something that you can always be learning by following uh, other artists and follow it just just taking notes on your own content consumption when you're scrolling through instagram or whatever it might be then beyond that i would be looking at sync companies that uh, can do a non-exclusive deal probably um to test the waters rather than going in and committing to let's say the biggest sync agency for an exclusive period and and, and for full exclusivity worldwide, I'd probably look to do territory deals um, and non-exclusive just initially. And then once you've tested the waters on that and just to to manage expectations as well, sync is quite a slow game. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be hitching my wagon hard on like getting placements in a big TV series or, or an advert or anything like that. It's just one more, one of those, um, not quite winning the lottery moments because it's a bit more scientific than that, but uh, certainly not something that you can just bank on. Yeah. Kind of
0: like a leave it and forget it. Hope something happens off of it almost.
1: Exactly. Um, my main advice for someone in, in that kind of level, because I, I was also at that level, is is trying to find things to leverage as well to to give people a reason to follow you that might not just be your music, whether it's the content that you put out as a, as a person like behind the scenes or tutorial content, or, um, you know, you can even be a personality, obviously. Um, it doesn't have to all be music content that people follow you Mm -hmm. for, or for example, back in the day, people used to, Put together compilations and license those to then have people like to follow but obviously you can't light gate anymore which is uh it's just just fun seeing how everything progresses but the the main thing that i would be doing nowadays is how can i find the most effective way of communicating with my audience because i know that facebook's organic reach isn't going to always get me my super fans right it's not going to keep them fully up to date so what what is my best communication method with my audience and what other tools are out there that I can leverage to have them support me outside of just my music releases? So whether it's going through a Patreon, whether it's getting direct um, phone numbers to, to use as a mailing li- uh, a mailing list, but the equivalent of a mailing yeah. list. <laughs> Um, whether it's creating a messenger bot that has some kind of cool branding that's unique to you as an artist or um, I mean you see nowadays people go all out with like developing app games to tie in with a music release and stuff like that you can scale that way down and still have similar results um, without needing to invest huge budget into your your kind of per release strategy
0: So when a label listens to a track on label radar, they've got a 20 second clip. And if the label likes it, I think personally, it's naive to think immediately they're going to click, Hey, let's talk. I'm going to sign this. So on your end, what do you think the labels are doing? If let's just say monster cat, one of the labels on your site, monster cat really likes a 20 second clip from an artist and they're deciding whether or not they want to follow up with that artist.
1: Yep. So for their setup, they would uh, run it by the A&R team. So they would have the track shortlisted. They would say, uh, you know, really interested in learning more about this artist. And then they would run it by the team, get the team's thoughts. And then they would get in touch with the artist and um, run through their usual protocols, which from from what I know about them is that they're, they're very they do their homework right they want to know that the uh the artist has like a follow up single they have a, a story to, that they they want to tell with their music and they have a, a yeah. solid branding around themselves so um they're they're one of the the best examples of a label that you know really goes into a partnership with the artist that they're working with as opposed to kind of just spamming out music um which you know in in the current landscape there's so many releases coming out and a lot of labels running very aggressive release schedules that I think it's it's always nice when you you see a lot of effort going into individual releases still.
0: So one thing that I want to ask you about especially coming from the artist side and then moving into more of the business side is how important you think it would be for aspiring artists which is the majority of the demographic of people listening to this podcast how important do you think it is or would be for them to get a music industry job outside of actually producing music?
1: I I would say with, with anything, you kind of get out what you, what you put into it. So you could have a music industry facing job and not really get that much benefit from it unless you're leveraging it in the right way. So if you're, I mean, it also depends what that role is, right? There's jobs within the music industry that won't Advance your career as an artist in in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I think if you are able to work on the industry side, there's always the chance to grow your network and expand by meeting more people in in the industry. And uh, whether it's it doesn't have to be like industry people, it can be other artists. You know, I think actually one of the things that a lot of artists don't put place enough value on is having a kind of network of other artists friends, right? Like it can be, it can be super lonely, I guess, but like it can be quite an isolating, uh, lifestyle being an artist. If you're, you know, not also building your, what I, what I had my wolf pack where, you know, you have your go-to guys and you know, the modern, the modern artist. Uh, This is going slightly off piece here, but (laughs) um, the modern artist has to have such a diverse skill set. You know, they have to be a marketer. They have to be a mixing engineer. They have to be, um, you know, adept at musical theory. They have to be all of these things that I think having a base of friends who understand your world as well, um, you know, you might have friends who have different strengths or different skill sets to yourself. And that way you can kind of tap into each other's strengths to help rise together. You know, who's going to be the first person to like your post when you put out a new piece of music? sure hopefully your fans will carry you um on that but it's also nice to have someone uh or or someone's who you can you know know you'll all support each other's stuff and it just makes the journey a bit more rewarding as well i realize i got slightly off topic there from from working in music i think uh, uh, to to be honest it would depend what role you're doing but yeah. um i would i would certainly see it as a positive if if i was going to be um, looking for work alongside being an artist, um, working in the industry would certainly be one of the best steps I think you could take, uh, depending what role you're going for.
0: Yeah. And I think even going back to the question I asked you earlier about if there were any jobs that you didn't enjoy, it seems like at a minimum, they gave you some insight and guidance into you know what you wanted to do or just teach you how to do your job better when you got the subsequent jobs after
1: definitely. And like sometimes something can feel like a waste of time there and then, but actually you never know when you might actually need or be able to glean value from that thing. Even if it is like a menial task or it seems completely irrelevant from your goals, um, never fully write it off because yeah, I think there's always that kind of, life likes to play a a joke on you, kind of (laughs) something that you thought was completely irrelevant actually ends up being super important kind of thing.
0: So as far as I'm aware, Label Radar isn't a brick and mortar business. It's online, which means COVID hasn't directly impacted it as much as some other businesses. But I'm curious to hear if you've seen any change in the way that people have been interacting with Label Radar, especially because the music industry as a whole has been shifted because of the you know extreme downtick in shows, which are a huge source of revenue. So I'm kind of curious what you and your partner have been dealing with and kind of what you're thinking about moving forward with the way that the industry's kind of shifted.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the from a lifestyle point of view, we've all been working remotely for a long time. So that side of things wasn't a, a kind of adjustment period to us. Um, what was interesting was seeing how people had a need for different ways to engage with their audiences uh during the the kind of peak lockdown period of covid so you know all these bigger art, big artists who'd been counting on touring revenue suddenly had huge gaps in their schedules and yeah. they were like okay how can I keep my relationship going with my audience during this time? And it kind of, this also ties in with what we were saying earlier about how you communicate with your fan base and offer them value outside of just new music. Right. So one of the first things that happened during lockdown was we worked with Don Diablo and RetroVision um, to do demo review live streams. So mm. they used our platform to receive demos um, from their audience and from our platform. And then they did a live stream on Twitch where they would go through those demos and invite the Artists who submitted them uh, to receive live feedback there and then um, in the live stream, um, which created some genuinely amazing moments. I think for yeah. you know at a time when when people didn't really have anything to look forward to, and in general, there's n- there's not really a scenario where you would end up getting one-on-one advice from like one of your favorite artists that's yeah that's just a very rare thing to happen and to be able to connect the dots uh and make that happen for so many artists during that time was really really nice for us uh, yeah. and just seeing seeing the kind of moments that happened, like don don diablo was a a great sport with it and he was very um very friendly and very engaging so i think um mm-hmm. I think it worked really well for his relationship with his fans, but also it gave a lot of artists a lot of value and a lot of um, like meaningful moments that I think they'll probably cherish for quite a while.
0: Yeah. I think a really big thing for artists as they're kind of getting the first steps in their career is just having small little wins to build off of. Because I think for yeah. a lot of artists, if they don't get their tracks signed, it can seem like it's a failure, but even having opportunities like that, where it's just a couple kind words from one of their favorite artists shows. Hey, you're progressing. You're growing. You've got things to add, and you should keep building off of those.
1: Yes, and that that's actually a really important point that drives one of the features that we've just launched on the platform, which is, yeah, you know, you said not getting signed feels like a failure, kind of thing, and that is something that we we identified on the platform uh, earlier this year when we'd both kind of gone full time and got our headspace entirely devoted to Label Radar was, you know. As an artist, you you submit your track and if you get, let's say you send it to five labels and each one rejects you, being rejected is a, a vulnerable moment. Like it's quite a raw emotion yeah. and to have it kind of again and again and again is, is going to take its toll on, on anyone. And so what we wanted to do was take steps to change the platform so that it's not like banging your head against the door until it opens for you and it's more... Yeah like a journey. So what we wanted to do is take it. So, I mean, you, you and I both know when, a, when a label rejects a track, it doesn't mean it's a bad track. It just means it's not right for that label. Yeah. Um, you know, there's countless amazing tracks that would get rejected if they were sent to a label that wasn't quite right for it. And I think, Artists can, can take it very, very personally when they get that rejection. So what we wanted to do is expand it so that you don't just get the notification saying the label is not interested, start again. It's kind of like, OK, you weren't successful on, on this submission. However, here are some other things that you can do now. And so yeah. we added a feature called Next Steps. And what that does is when you when you receive that notification saying they weren't interested it gives you an array of other options you can take from that point whether it's free resources to help you um For example, YouTube channels that like a curated list of YouTube channels that are very helpful for producers to follow or whether it's uh, self-releasing your track or getting it professionally mixed and mastered. If, if, for example, sometimes people give advanced feedback when they reject the track. So they might say the mix and master wasn't quite there yet. And so then you already have kind of an action to take um, to help improve, or you can go and take a course to learn, um, and improve your mixing and mastering yourself. Um, all these different steps that you can take from that moment so that it's not game over. It's just kind of, okay, let's re- regroup and take an- another action.
0: Cool. So a couple more questions and then we'll wrap things up. What advice would you give to an artist that is just starting out to give them the best chance of success moving forward with music?
1: for me this would be thinking about your brand because as we've said earlier we're in a very congested environment right now for for music artists so to help you stand out I think when like we can help you stand out in terms of getting your music heard by the people at the labels but then once they've heard your music you know it's not always just, okay, this artist has a great song, let's work with them. A lot of the time it's like, okay, where can we develop this artist to? What can their brand become? And I think a lot of artists, particularly when I've, I've gone and sat down with our partners and looked at their demo box, you know, you can see the artist aliases that are, are submitting and you're just like, how are you going to create a brand around like this like array of of mishmash of numbers and letters or yeah um it's like dj dumpster
0: truck 72 it's like good track but (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's like (laughs)
1: can can you really see dumpster truck 72 headlining coachella (laughs) Um, but yeah i think it I would definitely be putting thought into that because that will also tick so many of the other boxes that we've we've kind of touched on during this call, like your content and giving people, give, giving your brand the kind of flexibility that you don't have to communicate with your fans just through music. Like if you've yeah. got a, a strong concept, an idea to your branding, whether it's just a, a visual style for your artwork or whether it's a kind of subtext To your communications, like your tone of voice when you interact with your community that's based around what your um alias represents. Yeah. You can you can then create something that's a lot more impactful and meaningful. To to give some examples of this, you've got like Feed Me, where the branding is is kind of very deliberate and Mm -hmm. the communications are all around feed, food, eating, yeah, that kind of stuff. And it's, you know. There's a lot of other examples. I'm not going to reel off a bunch of names now, but I'm sure even if an artist listening to this just looks through who they follow, there'll be plenty of like great case studies for why they followed that person. Right. Because of something to do with their brand. Like you've got, we are cloud as well, put a lot of effort into, into everything they put out. And obviously there's a budget behind. We are cloud that not every, um, artist starting out is going to have access to but you can still create the, a similar level of brand cohesiveness and professionalism around it. And actually, I say professionalism, your brand doesn't have to be crazy professional. Like your unique selling point can be that it's super informal, as long as the brand itself stands up, like as long as it's distinctive.
0: Awesome. So we've talked a lot about what you've been doing at Label Radar. I'd be curious to hear what you've got coming up for it or outside of that, if you've got any other projects going on.
1: Definitely. Um, So in terms of what we've got coming up, I mean, we've literally just launched this next steps um, feature, which uh, I think we're going to be drilling into in more detail over the next few weeks and just seeing how it plays out and how we can continue to kind of optimize that for our our users. Other things we've got coming up would be expanding functionality for for labels so that they can um, have more of a team presence on there so at the moment it's kind of a shared experience across their whole team whereas yeah. what we want to be able to do is have them bring you know someone from the marketing team on board and someone from like a junior A&R scout on the same account as the main a but without them having to worry about like oh someone could sign a track without us wanting it to or you know all those different yeah. kind of permissions levels that can go into into an account we're going to be Building out. Um, I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to talk about our roadmap, but one of the other features we want to bring in, just as a kind of general concept, is the expanding the community side to Label Radar. So, shining a light on, I mean, we've got some incredible success stories um, that we want to be bringing to the forefront, but also we want to make Label Radar a place where you can, you as an artist, can feel like you're part of a community with other artists whereas right now I think it's quite a solitary experience as a user um, and we, we want to make that a bit more collaborative make it a bit more transparent in terms of the contests that we run as well like who the winners are and um, the winning tracks because I think that's something that doesn't always follow through right now is um, you know, we get people contacting us like who won this contest and then we send them the link or it's been announced on socials, but they haven't seen it. And I think that's the area for us that we want to improve is the communications and the community aspect of the platform as well.
0: Sweet. Well, with that, we'll wrap things up for this episode. You can learn more about Label Radar and Ed Brew in the description of this podcast. Ed, it's been great chatting with you. Appreciate you being on the show.
1: Likewise. Really appreciate it, Connor. And uh, yeah, I hope this has proved valuable to anyone listening.